You are now listening to the Demo Table going on everybody welcome back to the demo tape podcast episode number 32 i appreciate everybody out there who's been listening listenership is following is growing the following is growing i appreciate everybody out there for supporting the show and uh wanting to be a part of the show people that use the voicemail hotline um thank you all you can subscribe to the show on itunes google play stitcher radio and youtube Wherever else you get podcasts, you can also call the show and leave a voicemail if you want to just text the show at 850-270-8269. Got some topics that we're going to get into today, some sports, definitely going to touch on the Democratic debate that happened uh, last Wednesday, and uh, I got a lot I want to say about that, but what we're going to start today Uh, is mental health because uh, a lot of people I I feel like we we talk about mental health a lot Um, and in our society there seems to be a level of acceptance that it's a necessary thing and that it's not just people being weak and just crying and not uh, you know what I don't know a lot of people like to say like America's going soft and the country's going soft because so many people are speaking up about their mental health issues. And some people are, you know, people talk about like child abuse and things of that nature and what parents can't do to kids or what people are going through just in general. Um, subjects on cy- cyberbullying, which, you know, I have my opinion on bullying in general anyway. But my, the point I'm trying to make is uh, there's a lot of there's been there seems to have been a pot, a, a positive turn towards accepting that mental health doesn't mean that something's wrong with you and if there is something wrong with you there's nothing wrong with going to get help about it and so the reason why i want to speak on this is because um you know i just want to remind brothers um everybody in general but brothers specifically to take care of your mental health you know um it's my view that no one really cares about what we go through Right. Nobody really uh, stops to ask like how we're doing. And, you know, like I said, what we're going through, you know, we're expected as men. Like I said, as men in in a society, we're expected to just be stoic and not have any emotion about anything and kind of just. Just kind of absorb the blows of life and we don't have anybody to dump on. So like when women go through things and this is not, you know, anything to, to denigrate. Uh, our society on this, but it's just a fact. Like when women go through things, they are, they're often comforted. They're often coddled. People care about their emotions. People understand that um, women's women can be fragile, even though in my opinion, women are a, a lot, women are very tough. That's just my view and my perspective on them. Just maybe I've come in contact with a lot of tough women. But my point is when they go through something, uh, they tend to get coddled a lot. They tend to, people care 
to check on how they're doing people care to help them out and with men it's kind of the opposite right men are kind of just it's just like hey man you're a man you got to figure it out which i guess is cool because you know it makes it, it you know you you're trying to prepare yourself you know for maybe one day if you don't already have a family to lead a family and there's things i guess that it could benefit you to kind of just suck it up and problem solve yourself but the point i want to make and i'm trying to make is that you know we need help too as men especially black men you know we go through a lot on a daily basis you know racism and stuff on the job and stuff with your family and a lot of times you don't feel appreciated as a black man nobody ever you know i'm not gonna say nobody ever but it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of uh round of applause and pats on the back for black men it seems like you know we uh, it's, uh, we always get judged through the lenses of what we don't do uh how bad we mess up um you know just our imperfections we're judged about we're judged by our imperfections you know what i mean a lot of our uh how do i say a lot of our personality traits get criminalized and put into negative uh boxes we get marginalized in that way from youngsters and so if not even because not, and, and what i'm trying to say is even if you're not going through maybe you know something like a clinical mental health issue it's just always good to have somebody or have that avenue to you can have someone maybe it, it, even if it is their job uh that will listen to you and hear your perspective and be able to um, validate uh some of your ideas not all of them because everybody tends to think or people tend to think that you know um you people just go to therapy so that they can just have their own ideas validated. Sometimes you just need somebody to listen to you. Sometimes you need to talk through things. Um, so, and sometimes you do need to be validated. I can honestly say that um, as my, for myself, I there was a time when I didn't even believe in the power of mental health. You know what I mean? I remember a friend of mine was telling me that he was going, he was going through something personal, uh, like a relationship issue, and he wanted to go talk to a therapist. And I was like, man... Uh, and my, you know what's funny about that? It's like my dad had recently, my father has recently said this to me. But I said to him, I was like, uh, you know, you you don't really need therapy. Because all therapy, all therapist is going to do is make you, is basically you, you're just going to talk about things. And the things that you're going to do are things that you probably already been thinking about doing. And while that may be true for some people, that's no excuse not to go, right? And I kind of had to call him like months later and apologize because I was thinking about it. Like, yeah, that wasn't very smart or that wasn't very progressive. That was typical, uh, what I would consider like black people thing to tell somebody like, don't go to therapy or you don't need it because, you know, all they're going to do is at the end of the day, it's on you. Yes. But the thing about um, your own voice and listening to your own voice is most people don't do that. Most people don't listen to their own voice when it comes to a lot of things like their job their career whether that they're choosing or the person that they're with or just anything most people don't listen to their own voice and that is the problem so while it does seem easy to say that oh you know all therapy is going to do is just make you do what you already thinking but a lot of people don't do that a lot of people don't follow their own voice of their own thought process or something it's so clouded by other people's judgment and criticism that it creates like an anxiety in an individual so that they don't have that confidence to you know follow through or pursue something that they would like to pursue you know what i mean or go through with something that they would like to go through not only that there's like the stresses of family too and a lot of people 
you know, I can only I can speak for myself personally. You know, me and my mom, we've had our, you know, trials and things of that nature um, for a while now. And, you know, it weighs heavily on it weighed heavily on my brain. Some of the some of the things I was going through as far as like what school I was going through, what school I chose to go to, who I was dating, stuff like that. And not only not only for me, I could tell you because I like I, I think I spoke about it on a few uh, a couple episodes back. I told you that I do go to therapy. And I'm not going now. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. But the reason uh, I chose to go to therapy is just because it was just so much that I was going through that because I, I did try to. Um, like I said, I was one of those people who thought like, I, I don't need it. I can figure it out on my own. I don't need help. I can just because at the end of the day, it's it's all up to me. And, you know, things got real bad for me and real dark for me for a time in about like 20, like January of 2018. Um, things got real dark, real dark. Like my mind slipped into places and I was having thoughts that I don't want to repeat here. And I really don't like talking about because as far as mental goes, uh, January of 2018 was like the lowest I think I've I've been uh, since I got out of the military. I'm not gonna say it's the lowest I've been in my life because I think I've been pretty low sometimes in my life. But you know, going to therapy, uh, it was hard to find a good therapist. But when I found one that was kind of okay, even though, like I said, I'm gonna get to why well, I don't go see her anymore. But it does help. You know what I'm saying? It helps you to understand and realize that you know. A lot of people's criticisms of you don't matter. A lot of people's energy that they give you, regardless of it, their mother, they're your mother, your father, you know, your grandfather, your dad, you know, whoever, um, you still have to be in control of what comes in and out of your life, right? And the energy that you allow in and the, and the things that you accept, um, you know. So that's what that's what therapy helped me to do um, personally. It, it, gave, it let me realize that I have a, I have power and I've always had power over my choices. And in some instances, I did act on that power. But in a lot of instances, I let the opinions of um, another kind of affect me, like affect my whole life, like affect my production levels at different at work and school and stuff like that. And I was dropping the ball on a lot of things that I needed to not drop the ball on. And so. You know, it wasn't a very good space to be in, and so yeah, I went to therapy. I committed myself to it, and it and it's and it was and it works. That that's the key that I found out. That when you really commit yourself to it, it really works. And so, you know, as black people, we go through a lot of uh, things on a daily in this country, and I personally believe that we all suffer from some type of uh, social anxiety or something like that. Like I said, just based off the the fact that we are African Americans in a. Uh, country built upon white supremacy, right? You have to go into a world every day that doesn't accept you, that marginalizes you, that, you know, treats you, that, that otherizes you, that treats you as if you're on the outskirts of that society. And especially if you're a black man, you feel that on an everyday basis. Like I said, I can't speak to the white male gay experience. I can't speak to the white male experience or white people experience every day. But I'll tell you this, that even at your worst, if you're white, even at your worst, there's still you still there's still a level of acceptance into society that you get. And as far as black males and black women too, I don't want to I don't want to um, exclude black women. But as far as black males go, um, there's just that there's just not that level of acceptance, especially for the heterosexual black males. Now, if you're gay, and that's no shade, I'm just saying the facts. If you're gay, you might get accepted a little bit more um, in your jobs and stuff like that. 
but as far as the straight dudes man we we go through we go through a lot and like i said i don't even want to make it about that like for real honestly like i just i yeah that's just my thing we get pushed to the periphery of society and you know you have to be able to go and have somewhere where you can talk and and be heard because i don't believe that a lot of black males get listened to about anything like at a job if you have an idea for how like you know how you have job you give your ideas for how you know hey does anybody have any ideas how we should work on this and you give an idea and nobody listens to you and then you go home and then all you all you hear about is how you're you're wrong for doing this and how you're making a mistake for doing that and how what you're not doing is good enough and things like that and it could just drive you crazy literally it can drive you crazy not to mention just the stresses of just life in general that we all go through just living so i just wanted to start off there man and tell brothers you know hey it's no there's no shame in going to get uh you know mental health checkups and and, and going to sit down and talk to somebody um I, like i said before i was doing it um until she lost her ever loving mind and started trying to tell me what i needed instead of when i'm sitting there and i'm telling her what i'm going through and then she started my therapist so i go to see her and you know, she makes you, they make you do the little thing, like, in the last two weeks, have you experienced of, and, you know, I had experienced some anger in the last two weeks, right, and so, she had asked me about it, and I told her about it, and she tried to refer me to anger management, and I was like, no, because anger management is, anger is not my, my problem, you know what I'm saying, I don't care what anybody has to say, anger is not my problem, and so, you know, she got very combative and she had been doing that sort of thing like for the whole time. And I thought like, OK, this is good, but it's not good. I, I come to find out. And so she got really combative and started telling me this is how it's going to work. And I'm the expert and all that stuff. And therapy is not supposed to be combative therapy. You're, it's supposed to be easy. You're supposed to be working with me. You're right. And I walked out and I haven't been back to see her. So I am in the market for a new therapist. So I'll definitely be looking for that because, yeah, I can't I can't have that, you know, um, her telling me what my issues are when I'm trying to tell her what my issues are. But anyway, yeah, y'all. So, brothers, man, make sure that you're going to get some mental health checkups, man, because nobody I, I just feel like, you know, all we got is us as far as black men. Uh, this space that I'm trying to create is a space where I want brothers to interact uh, here because, you know, like I said, I just think that we don't have. Any, we, we have to be perfect and it is my goal and my uh, ambition with this podcast is to is to create a space where and to create uh, to be a voice for black men to say look, look look man you don't have to be perfect everybody's not perfect you know what I'm saying when I was reading some histories about some of the men the, the white men that became presidents I'm like yo these dudes are average like these are average dudes but because of who they are, because of what their dads did and stuff like that, they got placed into positions where as black people, as black people, we don't have that. You know what I mean? Especially black men, we have to be perfect. You know what I'm saying? You have to basically walk into your job smiling every day or somebody is going to think that you got issues and you hate everybody or something. So it's just a whole nother level of uh, expectations that comes with us. And, you know, it can be a lot. And there's nothing wrong with going to talk to somebody. And if anybody tries to make you feel that way, well, don't listen to them. And go seek your help and find your peace of mind because you only get one life. We don't know what happens afterwards. And you can't live it in a state of purgatory or turmoil or chaos in your own mind, especially when it comes to your life. Like I said, I was getting questioned about the school that I went to. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm sitting here thinking like, yo, man, there's a lot of brothers that ain't even going to school. I'm going to school and I'm having to deal with that type of BS. So, yeah, y'all. So I, I went to therapy and I'm and I'm going to go back to therapy when I find a good one. 
because it is difficult to find a good therapist because like I said, at the end of the day therapists are people too <laughs> just like your parents and just like your girlfriends and boyfriends and everybody they're people too so they come with their own level of biases and stuff like that that may not make them compatible for you but make sure that you find somebody that works for you because and, and, and like i said i just wanted to say that so don't be scared um don't feel ashamed because you know life gets life can be overwhelming and that's okay you know what i'm saying if you have to make some drastic changes in your life do it you know it wasn't hard for me i mean it was hard for me to get to a certain level um but you know i had to make stop stop talking to certain people and make sure that i was progressing um in my life because i can't I, like the negativity around you like i said around your decisions especially as a man is never good because that expert like i said there's that expectation that men need to be decision makers and all this stuff that's a societal expectation that's a societal expectation that I don't know where it came from, but it's here. And so the point I'm trying to make is as a man, you it's okay to, I guess, to people to have to question your decisions. But at the end of the day, if you're the one that's in, like you're the one making the decision, you need to be able to make that decision with a clear mind and a full heart and go hundred percent in it. And if you have people around you as a man, especially as a black man who are doubting you and putting that negative energy behind you uh then you need to shake that because that's not where you where you need to be because it's just not healthy but i'm gonna leave it there so i, I maybe i started off a little too heavy but you know make sure that you go and get your mental health checkups brothers because it's real out here and you know all we got is us but yo so moving on uh boondocks is back though uh hbo has announced that two seasons of the boondocks are going to be produced for hbo and man that's definitely an exciting uh thing because in the political climate that we're in the boondocks is the most appropriate show for black folks um especially like in the midst of the popeye situation everybody i know everybody was thinking back to the boondocks when they was watching the popeye situation and the boondocks just makes so many episodes but aaron magruder and whoever else writes for that show has a very, very uh, acute understanding of the black psychology, like the black psyche, because the stuff that they, the stuff that they put into those episodes, man, is timeless. Like you could watch the Boondocks right now and be like, "Yo, this is so appropriate." You know what I mean? As far as like the Riley with the with the gay rappers and wearing dresses and stuff, that was years ago. And then you fast forward and you had like the Young Thugs and the Delights and all these rappers coming out gay, wearing dresses and stuff. And you know, whatever, it's no issue being gay as a rapper. But the point is, the Boondocks was on that situation years ago. They even made a chicken episode. So it's very, very exciting to have uh, the Boondocks back because we definitely need it. And, it's, and the thing about the Boondocks is, a lot of us laugh. I can remember being a young, young man when I first started watching the Boondocks. And I thought it was comedy, right? Like I thought it was, oh, it's just a show. And then so the more I read books about black history and the more I read about different black political figures or different black activist figures, uh, different, the more I watched, sat back and just watched us, how we move, I began to realize like, dog, Boondocks is more than just uh, a comedy. The Boondocks is like a social commentary and really, I don't know if y'all will agree with me on this, but I feel like the Boondocks isn't laughing with us sometimes. And I don't mean this in a, in a negative negative sense. What I'm about to say, I feel like the Boondocks is laughing. Like I feel like when we're laughing at the Boondocks, we're laughing at ourselves instead of we're not laughing with the jokes or whatever. If that makes sense, because like it's very, I think it's very critical of us in a. 
I don't want to say, is it satirical is the word? I think, I, I think it's satire. I don't even know if it's satire because it's so true. Like a lot of like the Uncle Ruckus character, the, the, the Tom character, the granddad character, the Riley character, like they're all individuals that either you are as a black person or that you've met or you've come across. And so, you know, what we're laughing at the Uncle Ruckus, the funny thing, like, like the sad part is there's actually Uncle Ruckuses out there. You know what I'm saying? When you're laughing at the Tom or you're like, Tom is weak or whatever the case may be, or granddad, or whatever you think about the different characters, like they're all real life embodiments of every one of us as black people. So it's kind of like looking into a mirror instead of just like laughing at a show, like Family Guy or something. Like it has substance to it. And that's why I think the Boondocks goes over, uh, like that's why I think that's why I think the Boondocks really uh, hits its mark because it's very topical and it's a sub substantive show that, you know, can educate if you're looking for that sort of thing, I guess it depends on your perspective. I definitely see the educational value. A lot of people don't didn't like the fourth season of the Boondocks. And I actually thought after going back and watching it and understanding it a little bit better, the fourth season of the Boondocks is actually very good. Now, I would rather have Aaron Magruder and those guys. He wasn't a part of it, but I think he'll be he's going to be a part of it on the new seasons that are coming out. And so, um, and remember, uh, the Boondocks was the one saying that we was dick riding Obama long before any of this. So... Like I said, man, the Boondocks is, a, is ahead of the curve. It's 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 everything that we need, and I'm, it's very it's gonna be great to have it back, you know, uh, for two seasons. Let's see how uh, the writers and everybody has changed. Let's see what they're gonna try to do to the show, because obviously, you know, the first iteration of it is not gonna be the same as second iteration. And 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 and, and, and let me get off topic for a second. Um, that's one thing I will say I like about the social media era. It it kind of gives birth to things that like like you have a lot of shows that are rebooting i guess is what i'm trying to say due to streaming and stuff like that you can see that the desire or demand for a show is still there so like i said i couldn't be more ecstatic that the boondocks is bad because the boondocks is definitely a needed show uh moving on to the topic that i really want to talk to for this episode and before i get to that I want to pause for a second and remind you that if you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe to the Demotate Podcast on Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and YouTube. Just search Demotate Podcast. Also, before, uh, also after you subscribe, make sure that you leave me a, make sure you leave us a uh, review, five star review. Let us know how we're doing. Let me know what you like about the show. And after you leave a review, make sure that you hit the Demotate voicemail line at 850-270-8269. You can leave a voicemail or a text. Uh, I'm say I accept all questions on all topics. You can text to leave a comment, whatever you want to do. That number is 850-270-8269. So go ahead and hit that up. So the Democratic debate was last week. And <sighs> y'all, okay. So for those that have been listening um, to my podcast for a while, you know that my stance on politics is... Uh, that I don't believe that African-Americans should vote in federal presidential elections. I know, you know, people go freak out about that because we don't um, have an agenda. We don't have any type of we haven't organized our own political interests. We still vote and we're still. Um, what is the word? We're still subverting our interests to the interests of other folks. And so I hadn't been watching any of the. De uh, debates in a while because I just hadn't had the time. I've been doing radio and I've been doing uh, my podcast and I've just been doing school and a lot of things so I hadn't had a chance. But I, I, I recorded this last one and I went back and watched after it happened. 
because I had to see uh, what was going down. I had to see what what the candidates were going to talk about. I had to see what little political. Uh, what am I trying to say? What type of uh, linguistic judo they were going to use when asked questions. Excuse me. What kind of linguistic judo they were going to use when asked questions. Uh, I, was, I, wanted to, I just wanted to see if they were going to talk about black people directly. If they were going to talk about black issues directly. If they are going to have a plan for black issues. A tangible plan. Not just some empty uh, rhetorical uh, platitude. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, do they have something substantive that we could do? Are they going to talk to us directly or are they going to skim by us and try to loop us in with um, all people of color? And politically, y'all know, if you've been listening, I cannot stand the people of color because people of color was created to undermine black political ideology. You know what I'm saying? They lump us in with uh, Latinos and uh, Asians and everybody else. I don't like the term people of color. I don't like the term minority. Because those do not speak to black people. When Latinos want to get spoken to, they speak, they, they, they call them out. When, you know, nobody even talks about the Asians. So I, I, I find that very fascinating. But, yeah, and we, know, we all know that when, people, when these policies are getting stated that white people are the status quo. So they don't have to necessarily be named because they are the largest body of people in the country at the moment. And they are the ones that, you know, people are speaking to. So I just wanted to see. Uh, so what is who was it? It was Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Andrew Yang. That dude, man, <laughs> he reminds me of Doctor Evil for real. Like his his accent and his and and his his little game show like uh, idea to get people to vote for him. Like I'm gonna give you a thousand dollars. Like I thought that was like what is this dude? What is this dude talking about, man? He's an entrepreneur. Anyway, uh, Julian Castro, Beto O'Rourke. Everybody's he reminds me. You know. Anyway, we'll get it. We'll get into him later. We'll get into that later. Amy Klobuchar, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, that dude, and I don't even know how to say his name, Pete Buttigieg. So these are all these are the top ten Democratic candidates. So the 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 the, the, the town the debate was held at Texas Southern, which is a historically black college. Which right off the muscle, when I saw that, I said, okay, all right. So they're having it at a historically black college. Let's see if they actually talk to black people. Um, there are some things I wrote down that I did like that I would like black people to adopt uh, into their ideology. Like when Andrew Yang said that uh, that we as Americans need to look our, look at ourselves as stockholders in a big company. I agree. I think that black people should look at themselves as people who have who who have who who have uh, whose descendants have basically built up the wealth of the nation and they've been cut out. I think we need to fund. I think we need to look at ourselves in that manner. We need to look at ourselves. We need to look at this through dollars and cents because that is what, uh, that's what moves white people. Let's be honest, money, and that's what should move us. That's what should get us motivated. And we have to understand that. We have to understand that we are a part of the whole, and we sh- we have to stop accepting um, people trying to push us to the periphery and people trying to make us feel bad about having our own political ideology and that's one thing i do believe i do believe that when it comes to voting and politics black people we have i'm gonna sound it's gonna sound rude but we have a very low acumen um we have low political maturity and we have i believe like a a low self-esteem for voting we believe that our issues are immigration you know what i mean we believe that's one of our issues we believe very foolishly and i'll get into why later on that 
criminal justice is our number one priority. Like criminal justice reform is our number one priority. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to wait to talk about that. So let me let me let me explain what I mean before I continue to go on. Um, um, what I mean by that, when I say we have low self-esteem about those two things, because immigration is not a black issue. I know it's a sensitive issue. I know it tugs at the heartstrings of a lot of people in the world because I mean, a lot of people in the nation, because, you know, that's that's what that's what the TV and the news is designed to do. It's designed to tell you that, hey, little kids are being separated from their parents and put into detention centers at the border. Um, and so it's 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 meant to tug at it's meant to tug at your heart and be like, dang, man, I, how can I how can I not? vote for this man i don't want you know especially black people i don't want my little kids especially black because they try to talk they try to play on our mar marginalization and our struggle so they try to they try to they try to capitalize off of that and so you what you have is you have people trying to like i said people trying to make one issue your issue black people that's not our issue you know what i'm saying yes my heart goes out to my mexican homies my mexican family people that you know who are affected by immigration issue and Mexicans are holding their nuts on this. They're, they're standing 10 toes down. They're fighting. When I watched the debate, that dude, Jorge Ramos, he was asking the pointy questions about immigration and things of that nature. So the Latinos, they got that held down. They got that. They got DACA. They got their, you know, they're fighting for theirs. My thing is, black people, we have to fight for ours. And that's why I don't think we should vote. Because we don't know what we're voting for. Black people cannot tell me what you want and you know what you want. That's what makes me so mad. You know your issues. You know what you think we're owed. We have this thing where we don't believe that we're going to get reparations. And I believe we're not going to get reparations. As long as we keep telling each other we're not going to get reparations. As long as we don't come up with a plan to get reparations. As long as we take this thing. As long as we don't act like this act like this thing has to happen within like the next 20 years or the next 40 years. No, man. This is a long play because you cannot deny the facts of the historical facts and the historical ramifications of what slavery meant, not only just psychologically, but economically, you know? So we have to make sure that we're gathering our, um, 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 we're gathering our own, we're voting our own interests. Everybody votes their own interest. That's the key. And there's nothing wrong with voting your own interest. So black people stop feeling guilty for voting your own interest. Immigration is not your interest. Now, police reform, let me move on to police reform. Police reform is kind of one of those ones where that once again it's like it's like a like a capitalization tactic, right? So yes, black men are overly criminalized, black men are overly incarcerated. Black first of all, America in general is overly incarcerated. We say black people because black people are the highest, but in general, America in ge is a is a police country, a jail country. That's what it's about. Slavery, cheap labor, flipping it, making more money. So that's the jail system is always going to be an integral part of it. So that's why we have to watch the words, y'all. And that's why I wanted to listen to the debate because I wanted I wanted to watch the words, watch the words that they say. You know what I'm saying? Because criminal justice reform, right? So if you if you understand how the prison system breaks down, all these people that are running for president, they can only do something about the federal prison system. Only like 10% of people are in federal prisons. If I'm and, and if I'm wrong, please y'all give me the accurate stats. But the point I'm trying to make is there are majority of Americans that are locked up are not in federal prisons. And that's what the president has control over mainly. It's all it's mainly state prisons where most people are locked up. So and, and, and so so watch that. Number two, criminal justice reform doesn't erase white supremacy, it doesn't erase racism, it doesn't erase racial bias in the criminal justice system so what are you reforming you can't reform racism you can't do it i'm sorry people be like oh i was once a racist 
I don't understand how you how that comes out of you. You know what I'm saying? I don't because it because the way it's so deep in American psyche, white American psych, psychology, that it's hard to separate yourself from those ideologies. I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm saying that it's improbable. So what are you reforming? What are you reforming? I don't. There's no training that can make a judge not see a black man when he's sentencing him and be like, look, he's he's a problem. See what I'm saying? The issue is not. And, and, and oh, let me let me let me stop for a second. Part of the issue is the over sentencing, right? The 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 um, mandatory minimums for nonviolent crimes. I get that. I get that you can reform those things. But one thing I know from just studying um, the novice historian that I'm becoming is that white supremacy has a way of adapting right itself so it's not going to just so okay there's, so there's no violent crime but there's going to be something y'all and we have to be searching for that now to figure out what's going to be the next criminal criminalization tactic to keep the prisons full because if they're going to legalize marijuana right which they're dragging their feet on it and release uh, a lot of the non-violent drug offenders there's going to be something coming down the pipe man because those jails have to be filled so when we talk about criminal justice reform we have to ask ourselves what does that even mean what does that mean reducing mandatory minimums is that what that means okay but or is it or is it more importantly getting rid of the inherent bias that's in the criminal justice system right how can you legislate that out i'm gonna i'm asking serious questions how do you legislate out racism in the in the criminal justice system the judges the cops the da's the prosecutors how do you reg how do you legislate that out you cannot legislate that out because a judge at the end of the day can still slam the gavel and give you the years that he wants to give you because it's up to his discretion. So I just need answers on that. You know what I'm saying? Police shootings. What is what? How is giving more money to police to give them training going to help those things? That's all I'm trying to say. And uh, I remember taking the intro class or whatever, and the teacher was telling us that police shootings are going down, actually. And I'm like, OK, cool. Right. But the point I'm still trying to make is the police... The, the criminal justice system is inherently racist. Well, every system in America is racist. But so watch that. And, and that's what I try to say. Like when black people, when you're thinking about politics and, and, and another reason why we can't fall for the criminal justice, as Trig Nachi would say, trick bag is because all black people aren't criminals. Like that's one thing. When, it, when, it, when, 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 when we get told that criminal justice is one of our major issues, that makes it seem as if. Black people are all out here committing crimes. Now, black people are overly criminalized. I get that. and that, But that starts in grade school. That starts when you send your little black boy or girl to school. Really, your black boys. When you start sending them to school, that's where the criminal criminalization starts. That's when the jail pipeline starts, when they're in first grade. So once again, what are we talking about here? That's what I'm saying. We have to really understand black people. We have to really understand the issues that we're up against. We can't just let people tell us what our issues are because we walk in our own skin every day. We live our own lives every day. So people are trying to tell you that immigration is your issue. People are trying to tell you that criminal justice is your issue. People are trying to use fear mongering tactics. Saying that Donald Trump is this and that. And that's what I'm trying to tell you, black people. Don't fall for that stuff. Don't fall for the immigration talk. Don't fall for the criminal justice reform talk. Don't fall for the Donald Trump fear mongering. Kamala Harris did a lot of that. Did a lot of that. During the last debate, she did a lot of, she didn't even, I don't even remember her talking about any policy that she was going to do. Maybe she did when they started talking about foreign policy, foreign, um, yeah, maybe she did when, when it came to that. But it's like when they were talking about domestic stuff, like everything everybody was kind of doing was like, well, we have a president in there. That's a white supremacist. We have a president in there. And I'm like, look, y'all, like we understand where Donald Trump is. Everybody knows. 
You know what I'm saying? But what are y'all going to do? What are y'all going to give to people? Because that's what that's what politics is about. We give you our vote. You give us something tangible back. Excuse me. Let me get a drink of water right quick. Yeah. And so, gratuitous shots at Donald Trump. That's another note I run. Um, everybody, like Donald Trump. Uh, I wrote right here. Wrote, I wrote down notes. Bernie Sanders, Trump is the most dangerous president in America. Really? In American history? Really? Is that where we're going? Like, we're going with that? Like, all these supremely, you, like, white racist dog who, who, who feel like it's backed by, man. Yo, man. What's the, uh... I'm drawing a blank right now, but the president of uh, Woodrow Wilson, man, I think he's one of the more dangerous, more more dangerous presidents in American history than Donald Trump. Like I just feel like this, man. When you're speaking from an Afro, Afro, when you're speaking from an African American perspective on politics, like you can't, you shouldn't. I'm not gonna say you can't. You shouldn't fall for the fear mongering, especially when it comes to presidents, black people. Come on now. Like you have to name a aside from Obama, because I think Obama's probably the only president that black people can say for a hundred percent fact, and when he that he was not like probably like against us in that way that other presidents have been against us like like i said before i made this point before on previous episodes racist policies have been have been passed down like since in my lifetime so the question becomes like what are we what are we scared of like what are we scared of so once again our our, our political ideology should have to do with restitution that's our number one goal right now after we get what we get, after we get, and don't tell me that we can't get anything because, like I said, once you look at the history of the world, people have um, been given money for what they went through in the past. Now, they're going to try to make excuses. They're going to try to fight it. White people tried to fight slavery, though. They When, when, when black people were, were getting their freedom, white people didn't like that. So once again, we have to stop looking at our political agenda in terms of what white people will give to us because white people didn't want to give us our freedom. Until we started taking it. <laughs> we started taking it. We started rebelling. We started running. When the Civil War broke out, we started defecting. When the Revolutionary War actually, too. That You know what I mean? I'm studying that right now, and that was eye-opening. We defected to the British side, majority of black Americans. So the point is, anytime that our interests became, we put our interests to the front forefront, we made some progress. And that's what I'm saying. We can't wait around and be like, look, man, they're not going to give us reparations because it's too much money. It's too much this. It's too much that. Of course, if you don't have a plan to get it, if you don't have any type of uh, a plan to like withhold your political capital in order to get what you want, then yeah, if you want to continue to get pimped and get told what your issues are, what your what affects your community are, there's a lot of issues. Our issues are tangible. Our issues are economic. Our issues are economic because with economics, we can fix a lot of the problems ourselves. You know what I'm saying? We have been... Yeah, and, and that's one thing I want to say about the debate. Um... Beto O'Rourke, he, he articulated very beautifully the struggle and the plight of African-American people in this country. And, you know, that's cool. That's really cool. And he said he's going to do... I, I read the H.R. 40 bill, y'all, by the way. I've read that bill. And I encourage you all to read it. It's not anything tangible. It's not anything that's going to actually become... It's just, hey, we're going to study reparations. No, 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 dog. We need you not only just study it. We need you to, to pass bills to get restitution to the descendants slave the descendants of slaves that's just what it's about at the end of the day we continue to act like um that it's never gonna happen and 
I'm not gonna, I'm not accepting that. And I don't think you should accept that as my listeners. I don't think you should accept that, especially if you're black. You should not accept that reparations are gonna happen. Yeah, it's gonna piss a lot of white people off. Well, us being free pissed them off. Us uh, ignorantly protesting for integration pissed them off. So there's nothing that we're gonna do that's gonna make them feel good except be quiet and accept the status quo. That's the only thing that we're gonna do that makes that's gonna make white people feel good. It's not challenge them on their white supremacy not push back against white supremacy as long as we keep doing that as long as we don't do those things as long as we don't push back against white supremacy we'll be fine as long as we stay quiet and we keep voting for issues that don't matter to us and we allow them to scare us with donald trump fear of donald trump and what he's gonna do so bad that hasn't already been done to us as long as we keep doing those things then yeah white people are gonna be excited they're gonna be happy because it's not affecting them it's not pushing them it's not making them uncomfortable it's not pushing them to grow we need to stand 10 toes down for our for our for our political interests the number one political interest i think we have is reparations there is no other issue that's bigger than that right now and i think we need to embrace that and we need to embrace that okay you may not get it in your lifetime but if you set the foundation ideologically generation after generation after generation we can get reparations dog and don't and don't get it twisted we have to force the issue. Always force the issue. Don't lay back on the issue and let people tell you who don't have any investment in you or your struggle what you can and cannot have. That's kind of what I was talking about. Kind of what I was trying to say earlier with the with the mental health stuff. Don't let people who aren't invested in you tell you about you. Or even if they claim to be invested in you, if they're always spewing negativity at you, you can't take their word for what you need. And that is our issue. That is the issue of the day. Because nothing else is going to change, dog. They can, they can reform the police as much as they want to. A brother is still going to get sentenced more. <laughs> a brother is still going to get sentenced more when he get caught up in the system. That's just what it's going to be. Until, because that's what our nation is. So until until we get to a point... Um, actually, I don't, know, I don't know how we get to the point where white supremacy is demolished. But the point I'm, I'm trying to make is until we get... until. Um, we get reparations. That that's that's one thing I can figure that out. Now, do I have um what am I trying to say? Um I, what am I trying to say? Is is there a uh a method that I would like as far as like payment? I don't know about that. I'm still mulling that over in my head. As soon as I as soon as I come up with a concrete with that, I definitely speak about that in the podcast. But the main thing is unless they're talking what we want, there's no talking. Because nothing in our life is going to change. I'm telling you, it's not. Like, you may believe that it is as black folks. You may believe that it is. But it's not. And I'm not telling you to forego all voting. Like I said, because I feel like the most power that we can have is local. And people, I, mean, I remember when I was at the podcast convention, I was talking to this lady. She does a political podcast. And she was telling me that, well, the federal government historically has been the only ones that helps black people. Has helped black people. And I say, okay, yeah, I can't. That's a half truth. Because they've helped us. To the extent that they didn't, they helped us as long as it wasn't pissing off anybody, any white folks. I put it that way. The moment that white folks began to say like, "Yo, what the hell's going on?" Then that's when the help stopped. So they, yeah, I guess, but no, no. I think, I think, really, um, our best bet is locally. Our best bet is in our cities. I think to get. To, to create a, a police environment and all that stuff that we want, it's going to have to start locally. It can't come from the federal government, especially not now. Um, and that, that's just my little bit on that. Uh, what else I want to say? Oh, before I get off, Cory Booker. Because during the, uh, during the uh, debate, they were talking a lot about um, 
the different um, the different records of the different political uh, pun- the different political candidates, and so a lot of things got called onto the carpet. And uh, I want to play a sound from Amy Klobuchar. Um, that she's she's running for president. She's one of the I think she's an ex prosecutor from Minnesota, and she was questioned about her record. And I want y'all to pay very close attention to the linguistics, the linguistic gymnastics that she does here, because it sounds like she's doing one thing, but she's really doing another. So I just want to play this for a second, because I want y'all to hear this. Of incidents where black men were killed by police. Critics say that too often you sided with police in these cases. The ACLU's legal director in Minnesota has said that you showed no interest in racial justice. System from the inside. Hold on I will have Let me get it. dozens of incidents where black men leader and get this job complete. Thank you, Senator Harris. Senator Klobuchar, during your eight years as a prosecutor in Minnesota, there were dozens of incidents where black men were killed by police. Critics say that too often you sided with police in these cases. The ACLU's legal director in Minnesota has said that you showed no interest in racial justice. Do you wish now that you had done more? That's Okay, now I want to stop for a second. Because I want to walk you guys through this. Now, she was asked, Amy Klobuchar was asked about her record on police shootings in Minnesota. That's what she was asked. The question. That's what she was asked directly. Now, watch her answer. Listen very carefully and see if you catch it before I do, before I explain it. Not my record. We are here at a historically black college. And I think of an alum of that college, Barbara Jordan, and something that she once said. She said, what the people want is simple. They want a country as good as its promise. And that same can be said of the criminal justice system. So when I was there, the way we handled these police shootings, I actually took a stand to make sure outside investigators handled them. I took on our major police chief in Minneapolis. But in the prosecutor's office, they were handled with a grand jury. That's how they were all handled across our state. I now believe it is better for accountability if the prosecutor handles them and makes those. You know, it's always funny that when they ha- when these people have power, because they ask Kamala Harris the same thing. And she, it's always funny that when these people are in power, there's nothing they can do. And, you know, it's, you know, all police shootings were handled with through the grand jury. But then when they're out of power, all of a sudden now they have all the answers. It's like, come on, y'all. Decisions herself. That aside... I am proud of the work our staff did, 400 people in our office. The cases that came to us, the African-American community that came to us, they said there was no justice for their little kids. There was a kid named Byron Phillips that was shot on his front porch. No one had bothered to figure out who did it. When I came into that office, we worked with the community groups, we put up billboards, we found the shooter, and we put him in jail. We did the same for the killer of a little girl named Taisha Edwards who was doing her homework at her kitchen table and was shot through the window. What changes did we make? Go after white collar crimes in a big way. Diversify the office in a big way. Work with the Innocence Project to make sure we do much better with eyewitness ID. And as a senator and as your president, I will make sure that we don't just do the First Step Act when it comes to criminal sentencing, that we move to the Second Step Act, which means the 90% of people that are incarcerated in local and state jails, let's reduce those sentences for nonviolent offenders and let's get them jobs and let them vote when they get out prison okay now did y'all did y'all hear that did y'all hear that so she was asked let me get my music back on 
she was asked about police shootings and how she handled them. So then she goes on to say, yeah, basically, you know, I made a mistake because I didn't handle it. I, I, let, the, I let the grand juries handle it. And we know grand juries are made up in Minnesota, made up predominantly white people who are predominantly in favor of the cops who don't care if a black brother got shot because he did something. He did something. That's just how, you know, that's how a grand jury on that issue is probably going to work. We've seen it time and time again. And she pivoted to shootings of little girls in, in, in neighborhoods. And I'm like, that's not this. That's not what she asked you. And that has to be the most frustrating. And that's what I'm saying. Black people pay attention to these things when they're talking. Because she was asked a direct question and gave a very indirect non-answer. Like, I, oh, I, I, I arrested the killer of a little girl. No shit. A newsflash for everybody out there. All you white folks out there. All you police supporters out there and all that stuff that don't think the police can do no wrong and I think that black criminality is the issue. Let me tell you something. Black people want criminals in jail just as much as you do. When a little girl gets shot in the head by some niggas shooting and a stray bullet kills her, we want him in jail too. That's not the issue. The issue is when Philando Castile gets shot when he's legally, legal, able, legally able to carry when his little daughter in the back car and that cop, went to, that cop got prosecuted, if I'm not mistaken. No, 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 no. That cop walked. That's, that's what we're talking about. So don't, don't try to conflate the two issues and do some linguistic gymnastics to pivot off the point into another issue. She started talking about, she was asked about police shootings and she pivoted into the conversation about criminal justice reform and, 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 um, Getting rid of violent drug criminals, non-violent drug criminals. That's not what she was asked. We were asked about your record on police shootings. And nobody wants to talk about that. And another thing I didn't like. They said that, you know, they did a poll. And young black Americans' biggest issue was racism. And I'm like, okay. That's that's probably whatever. I don't know who, who you polled, but okay. Because the thing is about racism. We're talking about racism with white people, black people. This is what you have to understand. White folks don't understand the concept of racism because they don't deal with it. They created it. They they employ it on a day-to-day -day basis, but they don't deal with it. So it's an abstract concept to them. It's not tangible to them. So when you're talking racism to them, they're never going to be able to give you a straight answer. So as black people, stop telling white people that you're, that, or whoever, that your number one issue that you're worried about is racism. Because the racism is not tangible enough for anybody to do anything about it. Even Cory Booker with his cockamamie idea when he's talking about he's going to have an office. Think about the irony of this. He's going to have an office in the White House to root out white supremacy. All of them, Julian Castro, all of them were talking about how they're going to root out racism. You're not going to root it out, man. Stop lying. So black people, what that, mean, what that means in code is we're not going to do anything about your issues. Amy Klumachar said as much. She didn't even address it. She didn't even talk about it. Wake up. Pay attention. Think in think in terms of what you need and all everything that we need at this moment, black folks. Really, when you look at the grand scale of our issues in America, it's economics. We need our own stuff. We need to build our own stuff, not not to exclude anybody, but just to have that economic base so that we can build and share with each other. That's what we need more than anything. We don't need criminal justice reform because the criminal justice system is not on our side. We don't need any other types of reform or diversity and inclusion because all those things do is push us down to the bottom yeah one or two black people may get accepted that's true that's true that does nothing for the masses 
You know what I'm saying? And the masses, you know, you really can't help the masses anyway. But the point I'm trying to make is that's not a issue for all of us. That DACA bill that got passed was for all dreamers that come here. If you qualify as a dreamer, you get that. The sanctuary cities that these cities is putting up for the Latino Americans that come here, immigrate here, that's for them. That's not nothing for everybody else. That's not that's not that's not for you know you or I. That's for them. So this it's time to carve out things for us. And our issues are economic, y'all. Pay attention and listen to these politicians, man. Don't get caught up in in the platitudes. Like I said, better old Roy Keaton, he nailed it. He hit every talking point on the head. It's like he's been listening to like the internet media personalities. It's like he's been listening to them. I'm sure he has. And he's hitting a descendants and the wealth has been taken. Yeah, what you gonna do about it? Don't tell me what's been happening. We know what's been happening. We live it every day. Tell me what you're going to do about it. And Cory Booker, you ain't going to take, you ain't going to put no office in the White House to deal with white supremacy, dog. You're just not because the White House is the hub of white supremacy. So, like, what are you talking about? Stop believing in these people, man. Believe in yourselves. <laughs> believe in your own ability to change your own life. Don't believe in these people's ability to change your life because they're not going to. They're going to change life for themselves and their kids. That's all this is about. Watch the game. Peep the game, man. Yo, so I'm I'm done with that topic. So before I get up out of here, I want to talk about something. I've been wanting to talk about hip hop so much on this podcast, and I and I be I, I forget about it. I just forget about it. So for everybody out there, you know what I'm saying? Yo, I've been bumping my boy Ellie Dollar. If you haven't bumped Ellie Dollar, rapper out of Houston, Texas, independent, um, you need to go bump Ellie Dollar, man. He got a new album out called Original Player. Uh, it slaps all the way through. I love it. It's that old ESG sound where they take the old samples, you know what I'm saying, and they put it over a little drum kicks and stuff like that, and they rap over it. Classic Texas sound, you know what I'm saying, dude. He, he just, he's an independent rapper. He's he's a heavy influence on um, my grind, my podcast grind, because you know I'm trying to build this thing up from the ground up, and so you know he's a dope rapper, man. Original player Ellie Dollar. Make sure y'all check that out. Talking about moving on though. To some more fun topics. Eli Manning. He retired. And now the debate is whether Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer or not. And for me, ah, it's a no. Like, like my man Randy Jackson used to say, it's a no for me, dog. No, Eli's not a Hall of Famer, bro. Eli, he's going to get in. Now, the question is, will he get into the Hall of Fame? Oh, you bet your sweet ass he is. Eli's going to get into the Hall of Fame. But Eli's not a Hall of Famer. And, you know, because you're 500... You don't win. I mean, dog, the dude, I mean, he's won Super Bowl. So, I mean, that kind of knocks my argument that he doesn't win. But he didn't win consistently. He didn't win as much as his brother did. He didn't win as much as Tom Brady or or even Tony Romo did. So, it's like, you got to, you got to, you know, Eli's going to get in because of, of his legacy, man. You know what I'm saying? Because we all know Eli's trash. Eli's intercept, touchdown interception ratio is, is trash. We keep blaming him. So, he's like, oh, yes, he didn't have a good offensive line. Man, Eli's garbage. Eli was an average quarterback. Your record doesn't lie. You are what, like, hey, didn't Bill, they say you Bill Parcells just to say that. You, you are what your record says you are. Nothing more, nothing less. If you're a 500 quarterback, you're a 500 quarterback. Eli Manning, like my, like, 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 like I heard them talk about, he's like, he's like uh, Jim Plunkett. Jim Plunkett. Jim Plunkett is a 500 quarterback. He won two Super Bowls, but that's what he is, man. And don't, they're going to put Eli in the hall. Believe that. Like I said before, believe that. Um, believe that but Eli Manning is not a Hall of Famer and you know the two Super Bowls that he won Super Bowl to me as a sports fan Super Bowl is a team accomplishment it is not an individual accomplishment so to give Eli credit 
for the Super Bowls as if, and I'm not saying he didn't do his job because he did in both Super Bowls. He, he did his job. He, he made plays, however spectacular or impossible they may seem, he made plays. And so, um, you know, you have to give him that those props. But as far as, you know, just his legacy, like his large body career, no, Eli's not a career. And Super Bowls don't make you a Hall of Famer, man. Like, come on. If lack of Super Bowls doesn't keep someone out, how does getting Super Bowls put you in? I don't even know if that made sense, but I think it made sense in my mind. Because if you keep Dan Marino, if you put Dan Marino in, he doesn't have any Super Bowls, but he has all the stats. And I think Dan Marino, for the most part, he's a winning quarterback. I have to look it up. Let me look it up right quick, Dan Marino. Let me see Dan Marino's uh, career win-loss. Because I'm pretty sure Dan Marino is... is, is is a uh, is a winning quarterback, and that, that's basically the point I'm trying to make. If, if if Super Bowl, the lack of having Super Bowls doesn't keep Dan Marino out, how does having two put Eli in? Because as cause just because you're a Super Bowl MVP doesn't mean you get in either. Because Deion Branch Super Bowl MVP, and we all know Deion Branch is not going to get in. Nick Foles is Super Bowl MVP. Is Nick Foles going to be? Uh, is Nick Foles going to be a Hall of Famer? I think not. So, you know, we got to watch this thing. Hold on. Let me see this dude Dan Marino's record as a quarterback. Mm, it doesn't have it on here. Hold on one second. Uh, I'm trying to see his win-loss record. Let me go to pro football reference. Hold on a second. Sorry about this, y'all. Taking forever. Hold on. Because I want to wait. I want to make my point here. I should have had this ready, but I want to know because, like I said, you can't. Dan Marino is yeah. Dan Marino's one forty-seven and ninety-three as a starter, and that's what I'm saying. He has no Super Bowl. So my point is, you can't put Eli in the Hall of Fame. You can't put Eli in the Hall of Fame for having two Super Bowls when he clearly has not been a Super Bowl, I mean, a Hall of Fame quarterback his whole career. That's it. That's it. That's just that's just the facts, man. So, whatever. They're going to put Eli in. Eli's trash. Uh, what we got left coming up? You know, I think that's it for today's episode, y'all. So, thank you all for listening to the Demo Tape Podcast. I try to release the podcast every Thursday, so be looking for it on Thursdays in your in your feed. You can find the podcast on the Demote Podcast on iTunes, I, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, um, Stitcher Radio. Make sure you rate and review. Leave me a five star uh, review. Let me know what I'm doing. And also, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you want to just make a comment, send a text, whatever. The pod, the Demote Podcast voicemail is 850-270-8269. Thank you all for listening. Make sure y'all hit that voicemail up, y'all. And uh, until next week, peace.